0: And like our next guest, uh, Marika Plater, uh, she has studied and, and written about the New York City uh, park system. And on the, the the cover story for this month's issue uh, titled Parks for the People, we have a cover story by one of our writers, Olivia Regio, And Marika is someone we uh, talked to in that article where we look at the history, really, of the class struggle around New York City parks. The whole question of whether our park system that we're all uh, loving and enjoying so much uh, during the summer months would be uh, a refuge uh, solely for the rich or be available to all New Yorkers. Marika, thank you so much for joining us uh, this evening on WBAI.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: You bet. So uh, can you uh, just kind of uh, start by uh, sort of giving us a a short, uh, I guess, history lesson on, on the New York city park system and, and this tension that's run throughout its history.
1: Absolutely. Yes. So parks have been key sites of um, of resistance and refuge for working people um, since they began in the early 19th century and really the late 18th century. Um, the park system began as a kind of private initiative. Um, generally, wealthy landowners would pay the city um, to develop open spaces um, or former commons in their neighborhoods um to to sort of turn into parks. And so they said kind of began as this sort of private effort by the wealthiest citizens, but from the start working people would use these lands too. And from the beginning there were there were clashes over how these spaces would function, were they places to um to enjoy the beauty of nature quietly to stroll and see and be seen or would they be places of play and protest um and also subsist- subsistence through foraging or peddling um and so i look at these kind of struggles that started really um really in the late uh the late 18th century and how they evolved um it throughout the 19th century um in the eight by the 1830s, um, city leaders started building parks, but they generally only built them in up and coming neighborhoods. They kind of used parks as real estate development tools. Um, meanwhile, uh, what
0: are some of those parks, which are I think now very well known.
1: Yeah, so, um, Washington Square Park was one of those, um, uh, that the city kind of set up, um, it turned from a graveyard, um, and or really a potter's field, a place where people who couldn't afford to be buried in the cemetery would be buried. Um, then they, they, uh, filled, filled and landscaped that area and made it, um, made it a park, um, to, to sort of control uptown development. Um, Tompkins Square Park was supposed to be a real estate development scheme, but it didn't, it didn't work. Um, a financial panic got in the way. It ended up being a working class park. Um, and, you know, Central Park's kind of the ultimate example of this. Um, it was a way to set aside a large amount of land, um, in the upper reaches of Manhattan and make sure that it was going to be a very wealthy district. Um, but this has always been contested, like working people have always asked for their own parks, um, for these parks to be well maintained and beautiful. Um, there were people in Coralier's Hook, um, which is now part of East River Park, which I think we might be talking about a little, a little bit later today.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, People were asking. This was a neighborhood known for shipyards and brothels. And as early as 1817, the residents were asking for a park there for pleasure and health. Um, they asked consistently for that park, um, and and their their uh, their pleas were not listened to until until um, the early 20th century.
0: And, and uh, can you share uh, maybe a couple some of the colorful stories you you, you uncovered of of the kind of uh, resistance that working class people engaged in to to get these parks to
1: serve them yeah um I mean, part of the resistance was just breaking the rules. Like I always think like r- rule breakers are the ones who really shape the culture of parks. Um, so in the like, if we're thinking about the early 19th century and we're thinking about the battery and the park at City Hall, um, which were these parks that were kind of created by wealthy people, um, working people would just come in with their militia companies, which at the time, militias have changed a lot. At the time, they were kind of like working class party organizations. Um, so they'd come and drill all over the gla- of the grass and drink and play instruments. Um, there were, uh, big iron gates put around the battery um so that to sort of control use of that park to make sure that livestock couldn't come in and be grazed in the park um but working people in 1826 tried to take down the fence they like were bat like hitting it with like old rusty kettles trying to break it down um and when they couldn't break the fence they turned and broke windows in the luxurious homes that were fronting the park so they were kind of through this um through this uh really attack on the fence. They were trying to say like parks should be open all the time for everyone and for whatever, whatever people want to be doing in these spaces.
0: Nice. And, and um, uh, now with central park, part of the creation of that involved, uh, demolishing uh, Seneca village, which was home to, uh, free African-Americans as well as, uh, some Irish and German immigrants. Can you talk a little bit more about that history?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Black community of New York City was looking in the 1820s to set up a kind of autonomous neighborhood. This was an era of just extreme violence, um, burnings of Black churches and schools. Um, and so there were um, advocates that were part of mutual aid organizations and kind of advocacy organizations who were looking for land. Um, in 1825, they finally found it um, in what's now um, between 81st and 89th Street, I think um, on along the west side of Central Park. So they set up this community that was really thriving. It had a lot of schools, um, I think three, it had a few churches. Um, it had farms um, and it had many residents, probably way more than we have officially. Officially, there are about 300, I think, on the rolls, but um, but there are many more buildings than were needed for that many people. So um, what historians believe is that this was a place where people who had freed themselves from slavery were hiding. They were far at this time. Um, uh, this area that's now Central Park was very far out of town. It was the countryside. And so it sort of created this kind of safe space away from the violence and the policing of Lower Manhattan. Um, so this community was thriving, um, really thriving between 1825 and uh, 1857 when Central Park was created and that um that came with the demolishing of Seneca Village. And residents of Seneca Village really felt that the park had been sited in that location in order to displace them. Um, they felt that the 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 beauty and strength of this community was the reason why um, this, this park was was created.
0: And, and there were no reparations or um, compensation for what happened?
1: The people who were landowners um, got some compensation. Um, the land was taken through eminent domain, um, but it was, they were just vastly underpaid. Um, landowners did go to court to try to contest this, and some of them were able to get a little bit more, but they couldn't, you know, you couldn't get uh, this land, this this community was priceless. So um, no one got what 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 they deserved, and renters didn't get anything. Um,
0: okay. And moving up to the present day, you, you talk about how two hundred years ago, uh, the initial uh, attempt to build parks was uh, led by the rich on on their own behalf, and uh, in recent decades, uh, after New York came out of its uh, fiscal crisis of the nineteen seventies we saw another trend toward a privatization of the parks or at least some of the parks. Uh, Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, with the fiscal crisis in the late 1960s and the 1970s, um, just New York city's budget was in tatters and the parks department budget was, was basically reduced to nothing. And, um, the parks began to really show wear and tear. Um, and so, uh, uh, like community organizations started kind of taking care of their local parks um and they um often by uh just uh building infrastructure by um doing doing landscape maintenance um and so it's it's interesting that this kind of like self-help effort um, sort of sort of merged into the story of conservancies, which are now taking care of our parks um, quite a bit. Um, and conservancies are Neighborhood groups um, where, uh, where uh, private donations run pretty much the maintenance of the park. So all of the biggest and best known parks in New York City have conservancies, the ones that look um, that look very green and taken care of. Um, and so there's been this kind of privatization of these these public spaces. So Central Park has a conservancy, Prospect Park does, the Battery does, pretty much all of the larger parks that are um, looking really well taken care of. But what that's meant is that all of this public, like the public monies um, it, uh, are not enough to take care of the other parks and there's not enough money in those neighborhoods to take care of the parks. Um, people who are living there love their parks but don't have the extra money to give donations to support these landscapes. Um, and so this, this conservancy system, this privatization of parks that really began in the 1970s as the par- the city kind of learned that it could displace its responsibility to care for the parks um, onto wealthier residents, um, it's really contributed to the inequality of our park system.
0: Right. And just to note, uh, the Central Park Conservancy, I mean, their annual budget is around $70 million per year, as one example.
1: Yeah, and Correct. these, um, yes, and these, these smaller parks are just, you know, they're operating on a very small, uh, percentage of that. The entire Parks Department budget, it's, I think, half of 1%, um, of the city's budget. And so if you think about all of our parks, like sharing that tiny amount, um, they're, they're, they're not looking good unless there are wealthy neighbors who are kind of supplementing the city's, this, uh, the city's funding
0: right and uh last of all i mean one one park that's uh, been at the center of a lot of attention that's in at risk is uh, east river park a 46 acre park al- along the east river from uh, east East 12th street uh, down to montgomery street uh used by many residents in the east village and lower East side many nycha residents along that stretch of the fdr um of course the city wants to demolish the entire park in in uh Put in eight feet feet of landfill and then and build a new park on it. Um, and your thoughts of whether the the city would contemplate doing something like this in a wealthier neighborhood as opposed to um, a working class uh, neighborhood like the Lower East Side?
1: Well, as a historian, I can say that the city has generally would never would never like destroy Central Park for for like something that would um a project like this. Um, I'm thinking back to like the 1870s when um, there was a need for rapid transit in the city. And um, rather than building an elevated railroad that would go along Central Park, um, the park commissioners gave the railroad company the Battery Park, which at that time um, was known as the Poor Man's Park. They allowed this company to build through the battery um, and trains ran, ran for decades over that park split flattering hot oil on people, um, burning them with cinders, um, filling the air with noise. Um, this was something that uh immigrant activists of the time fought against, um, really relentlessly. Um, and, and their argument was that, um, you know, parks are priceless and precious for everyone. Everyone needs equal access to them. Everyone has a right to equal access to them, but this is not something that the city listened to at the time. Um, so, so I think history shows us that, that this, um, this conflict over East, uh, East river park, um, has, has deep historical roots. Okay.
0: Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it there, but Marika Plater, thank you so much for joining us this evening on 99.5 FM. They're a historian of New York City Parks, and uh, thank you for sharing uh, your, your knowledge and your insights with us.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: You bet. We'll be back after this short break, and our uh, third guest will uh, also be talking a little bit about parks and the, and the planet, uh, our good friend, uh, Reverend Billy. <laughs>